1: It's Tuesday, July 5th.
0: From inside the WTOP newsroom, this is the DMV Download, brought to you by the men and women of Steamfitters Local 602. Get an estimate and learn more at steamfitters-602.org.
1: Today, it's now easier to carry a concealed gun in Maryland after Governor Larry Hogan issued a directive virtually eliminating a hurdle to the permit process. We talked to a gun policy expert at Johns Hopkins about what this means.
2: And so I think we would see more people now carrying than before because that extra hurdle has been removed.
0: And it took just 14 people to stop traffic for hours on the Beltway yesterday, as they sat in a perfect line across 495. The climate activists may have pulled off a first when it comes to protests in our region. And WTOP's Dave Dildine says they could be back for more.
3: I can't recall another time that it's happened on the Beltway. It's pretty dangerous to step onto a highway that facilitates the movement of 200,000 people at speeds over 50 miles per hour. Thanks for joining us. I'm Luke Garrett.
1: And I'm Megan Cloherty. There's a new directive in Maryland when it comes to carrying a gun. Governor Larry Hogan issued a directive for the Maryland State Police to essentially ignore the law on the books that restricts concealing carry in the state. This comes in the wake of the Supreme Court's decision to strike down a similar gun control law in New York.
0: Hogan says Maryland gun owners should no longer need a, quote, good or substantial reason to carry a concealed gun. But what does this mean? For that, we look to Dr. Cassandra Krafasi, the deputy director of the Johns Hopkins Center for Gun Violence Prevention and Policy. Dr. Krafasi, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So for starters, we know that the governor directed Maryland State Police which issue these concealed carry permits, he directed the state police to ignore gun restrictions laws. So does this mean that the law that was in place is no longer you know, there? Does that just kind of take it out?
2: It's a really great question. So what Hogan said is that applicants for a concealed carry license no longer have to justify why they should get a license. Uh, so under Maryland law, it was what we would refer to as a may issue law. Um, And New York uh, was one of these states, as well as seven others, that said you meet some basic criteria and you also need this good and substantial reason. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. None of that basic criteria changed, just that good and substantial part. And where that comes into play is what we refer to as discretion. So basically, the state police had discretion to deny an otherwise qualified applicant if they felt like they didn't have a good reason but all of the training requirements uh, accuracy sort of proficiency requirements criminal history all of that stays the same it's just you no longer have that requirement for a good and substantial reason
0: and what does this mean for you know a maryland gun owner does it mean more gun owners will be able to conceal carry
2: Technically, yes, more people are eligible now. Um, The criteria doesn't change. So you still have to go through 16 hours of training. You have to shoot with 70% accuracy and you have to meet criminal history, mental health prohibitions, all those kinds of pieces. Um, But now removing that additional hurdle, that additional discretionary element makes it likely that more people would be qualified. Do we know what the appetite is for
1: this kind of change or or how many um, gun owners in Maryland maybe are waiting to get their concealed carry permit that might be able to now get it faster?
2: Uh, I think there's a big appetite. I think people have been waiting to see what would come out of the Bruin decision. That's a Supreme Court decision that struck down uh, the discretionary element in New York's law. After that Bruin decision came out, it didn't take long before people's email inboxes started being flooded with now you can... Carrie, you know, the laws have changed, you no longer need this good and substantial reason, sign up for your training class now. And so I think we would see more people now carrying than before because that extra hurdle has been removed.
0: Mm. And, you know, zooming out now to the public health impact with this extra hurdle now removed, what does this mean for everyday citizens? Does your research at the center tell us whether this will make our communities safer, a more dangerous?
2: Our research and the research from some of our colleagues like John Donahue at Stanford, for example, um, our research has found that when you make it easier for people to carry guns in public, you see uh, harmful public safety impacts. So, for example, we see increases in firearm homicide, we see increases in violent crime broadly. Um, When you go to the most extreme version of concealed carry, meaning you don't need a license at all, uh, we actually have new research that shows that uh, there are increases in shootings by police. Um, so police are shooting more civilians in states that have permitless carry laws than states with more rigorous requirements. Now, that doesn't mean necessarily that Maryland is, is going to see some huge spikes because we still have rigorous training requirements. We still have important criminal history prohibitions, and we have proficiency requirements that not a lot of other states have. And our research has also found that when you have robust licensing requirements in place, like the ones we have in Maryland, even without that good and substantial reason, you can see perhaps less harms um, than you would if you went to a, a very weak system.
1: I wanted to ask you, Dr. Krafasi, about the timing of this and get your take on that. Uh, we had you know, another mass shooting in this country outside of Chicago yesterday this morning, just ahead of a press conference on that shooting, we get this notice from the governor. Whether or not that was intentional, I, I don't know. But I wanted to get your thoughts on that, given the uh, the climate that we live in right now.
2: I'm assuming that uh, folks were not maybe attuned to what had been happening or had planned to release this uh, and and weren't really keeping up with with what happened over the holiday weekend. The The tone of the statement was a, a very celebratory, that this was a, a a win for gun owners, a win for gun rights, and really uh, sort of deaf to the uh, issue and all the violence that had happened over the weekend.
0: And Cassandra, I wanted to ask, you know, up in New York, this law was struck down by the Supreme Court a few weeks back. And this legislature has actually like responded by crafting new legislation that kind of gets at this good and substantial reasoning, but in a different way. Do you expect the Maryland legislature to do the same, and how do you think they should do that?
2: I think a really important consideration is sort of what does the good and substantial piece do? It gives law enforcement discretion for folks who might be deemed dangerous or might not might have a, a might not have had a good reason to carry in public. It gives law enforcement an opportunity to say, well, we we don't think you sort of meet the criteria. Uh, and so what we at the center have actually been advocating for is to make it more objective. It's very subjective and it is unfortunately prone to abuses. If you know the right people, if you have enough money, you might be able to get around that discretionary element. And so there's certainly some bias in who's getting a license and who's not. And so what we've been pushing for is to make those more subjective criteria objective. What are the things that law enforcement would normally say, this is a flag, we don't want this person carrying concealed, and let's document those things. Some states have said, if you want to own a gun in your home, no problem, but if you want to carry a gun in public, you can't have had more than one DUI in the last five years because that shows maybe you have an issue with alcohol, Mm. right? So there are things that we could objectively articulate that would still give us some of the protective Benefits um, without having that potential bias built in with the discretionary element.
1: Often, when you hear, you know, a big Supreme Court decision, you then see a bunch of different challenges to laws nationwide. One of them here that we thought was worth mentioning was, gun owners in D.C. and in Virginia are um, basically, you know, challenging the law in the district that doesn't allow you to conceal carry on Metro. Do you think that this is going to continue to happen? I mean, you you have this law that has now been struck down. Do you think that, you know, New York is going to kind of ripple out continuously?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. So a a couple of pieces, Um, the justices did reaffirm the same thing that they affirmed in Heller, which is the government has an interest in regulating guns, gun ownership and carry and sensitive places are, are places where we don't want people carrying. And so they did go to some pretty great lengths to say, We still think that there are reasonable prohibitions on ownership, et cetera. The problem is they have created what is going to be um, chaos, for lack of a better term, when it comes to interpreting and ruling on on future challenges, Um, they have said, well, we want you to follow text, history and tradition. And we want you to find analogous laws, Um, but many of the policies that we have in place now, it's hard to think of an an analogy in the late 1700s that would sort of match with what we're doing now. So one concern that we have are related to domestic violence um, prohibitions, you know, in 1780s, women didn't have many rights, if any. And so thinking about why you would punish someone for abusing their wife when... You know, they they don't have the same rights as as males did at the time. Right. They're considered. It's really hard to think about. Yeah. Right. It's really hard to think about how do you come up with an analogy based on text, history and tradition that fits with that? Um, And separately, you know, the problem with text, history and tradition. I'm not a lawyer, but you can cherry pick the history that fits sort of what you want and, and you can ignore the things that you don't. And so we are going to have huge disparities in how this is being applied what policies are upheld, what aren't? Um, and I think this is going to create a lot of chaos for years to come. That doesn't mean all of our gun laws are going to go away, but many of them are going to be up for challenge and and maybe more vulnerable than they ever would have been before.
1: Dr. Cassandra Crafasi, Deputy Director of the Johns Hopkins Center for Gun Violence Prevention and Policy. Thank you for kind of breaking down here what we are looking at as far as Maryland gun rights and what's to come. Great. Thank you for having me.
0: And coming up, how 14 people sitting crisscross applesauce shut down the inner loop of the Beltway.
1: Backed by the experience of its hardworking members, Steamfitters Local 602 is ready to take on your next commercial heating, cooling, HVAC, or refrigeration project. Steamfitters Local 602 adds value to our community through its partnerships with local contractors and building owners, all while keeping the focus on improving the lives of its members and their families throughout the DMV. For work that's on time and on budget, go to steamfitters-602.org to schedule your next project. That's steamfitters-602.org. Steamfitters Local 602, changing lives.
0: Thanks for listening to the DMV Download. If you like the podcast, head to our show page, give us a rating, and leave a review.
1: We read all of them and use the suggestions to improve this show that we're so proud of. It also helps other listeners find this, our region's only local daily news podcast. Thanks for
0: making us a part of your day. It was not easy to get around the district Monday, literally. A small group of protesters set back hundreds of holiday drivers when they shut down the inner loop of the Beltway for more than an hour.
1: The 14 climate activists with the group called Declare Emergency blocked all lanes near Route 29, also known as Colesville Road, from 1230 in the afternoon to about 1:45 to o'clock. Uh, Now they're facing charges, as is a counter-protester. WTOP's Dave Del Dine covered the initial protest and the ripple effect it had throughout the region on Monday in traffic. And he joins us now for sort of the recap of this thing. So, Dave, have we seen any kind of protests like this on a highway before? I know we've seen protests blocking, like, the downtown grid before. Um, But as far as a highway, this seems novel.
3: You know, let's back up a little bit in terms of what we're talking about. Yeah. Protests are very common in the D.C. metro area, especially in the District of Columbia. But it's very rare for a stationary demonstration to set foot on the Capitol Beltway. Also pretty dangerous, too. Yes, it did back up traffic on the interloop at uh, Colesville Road.
1: And how did they get out there? Because they were sitting just, just to paint the picture here. There were what, like a dozen people sitting spaced out evenly. And it kind of just makes your heart beat a little faster to think how they got out there to start with.
3: Yeah, I don't know exactly how they deployed, but there are sidewalks on Colesville Road, and it's a, a fairly symmetrical interchange with a few grassy spots. And the clover leaves, they probably walked down there. They may have had some assistance from a driver on in the interloop. I don't want to speculate, but yeah. eventually they got crisscross applesauce that stretched across all four lanes of the interloop, blocked the shoulders as well, and drivers basically had it in park for more than an hour it just shocks me. I mean, just 14 people just sitting down can
0: block hundreds of drivers. I mean, the impacts were huge.
3: Yeah, but they potentially could have been much worse if they I don't know if they planned it this way, but they picked the federal holiday when volumes were particularly low. So it did back up traffic, but the traffic outcome could have been far, far worse had they picked just about any other day. Nevertheless, yes, they impeded traffic and they were charged as such, um, hindering passage and mm-hmm. um, among other charges. Yeah.
1: And this group, Declare Emergency, describes itself on its website as a nonviolent civil resistance group, shared an Instagram video from 495, um, interviewing some of the protesters who were actually out there sitting on the highway in these bright yellow shirts. Here's what they had to say. We have to take strong moves, and I understand all of their pain, but we're doing this for them, we're doing it for kids.
3: What we do now impacts our future and ensures that they have a, a future they can inherit. So we need more people to get out and to block these roads to raise awareness.
1: And, Dave, we think that this could be happening potentially again later this week. Is that what we're hearing?
3: Yeah, traffic prediction is a slippery slope, especially when it comes to mobile demonstrations. But these days, a lot of people are very uh, worked up over a variety of issues. There's a lot of division. There's a lot of uh, inflaming. And and in general, we tend to see a lot of protests in the D.C. metro area. But again, as far as interstate highways go, it doesn't happen too often after the uh, killing of George Floyd. And uh, Freddie Gray, we saw a lot of uh, demonstrators step onto 395, the Southeast Southwest Freeway. Mm-hmm. But in my memory, it, I can't recall another time that it's happened on the Beltway. That's pretty dangerous to step onto mm. a highway that facilitates the movement of 200,000 people at speeds over 50 miles per hour. Uh, in Dumfries, back in 2020, there was a demonstration that got onto 95 northbound. That was really dangerous as well. But it doesn't happen on 95 or 495 very often, though. No.
0: And if you find yourself you know, stuck behind a protest, as a driver, you know, do you, I guess you just sit and wait. That's the best you can do.
3: Yeah, and follow police direction. But when there are pedestrians on an interstate highway, police have to take it very seriously, Um, not just for the uh, sake of the uh, demonstrators, but also for law enforcement and personnel who are working on the highway. And they're not quick to reopen it. They have to clear it, make sure Mm -hmm. there aren't any stragglers or someone else before they just release the floodgates. Mm.
1: It's pretty amazing no one was killed. W2P Traffics, Dave Dildine, thank you very much. We'll see what happens later this week, possibly.
3: You're welcome. Stay on defense.
1: Before we go, I wanted to talk a little bit about our long weekend as we weren't with you guys yesterday. Um, I went out to Mount Vernon with my in-laws.
0: Beautiful place.
1: Gorgeous. I mean, it was hot and it was full of people. Let me tell (laughs) you. But beautiful. Very busy. Um, But they had all these things on the, um, all these events, including fireworks and stuff. But one of the, one of the really special events was a naturalization ceremony. Mm. There were 52 people. um, I think it was 52, around 50 people. Um, who had gone through, like, this 10-step process to become an American citizen. And many of them had had green cards for five years, had served our country, Mm. and weren't yet citizens. And um, Secretary of the Treasury Janet Yellen was there and spoke, and it was. So did George Washington, by the way. Oh yes, <laughs> who the guy? I was very impressed with the casting. Let me just say, George, you did a great job. But we were standing in line for the for the tourists, so I got to basically watch this whole ceremony, and people were crying.
0: It's a huge deal. It
1: was so emotional and so wonderful. I don't know. I was like, really, it was one of those things that usually you're just going about your day, like eating a hot dog, <laughs> waving a flag, and just to see that on Independence Day was very special.
0: Yeah, totally, totally. I mean, it, it's a lot of work to become a citizen, and. Sometimes take it for granted.
1: Well, you know, some people don't even know I mean, some American citizens don't know as much as these right. people had to learn. Yeah. Um, and obviously we all should, but it was just I don't know. It was cool.
0: No, it's a great ceremony, Fourth of July. My Fourth of July uh was pretty awesome too. I mean, we went down to the mall, saw the fireworks.
1: Oh, you went into the belly of the beast. Yes.
0: And it honestly wasn't that bad. Oh, good. Um, but mostly because I invented something. But <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I didn't invent something. I created something. Okay, tell me. So we went down, and, you know, we got to get down there at five to get good seats. The fireworks don't go off till nine. So it was like a four hour deal. So you got to bring drinks and food yep, and stuff, yep. which requires a cooler. Yeah. Um, but lugging a cooler, you know, three miles, because I didn't want to take the metro drive, is, uh, is tough.
1: Oh, so you walked with the cooler.
0: I walked with the cooler, but I had a skateboard, some bungee cords, and a cooler. And I, like, strapped it up in a way <laughs> that I could literally, like, ride on top of this. Rolling cooler down, you know, down to Constitution Avenue. Tell so, me, you
1: didn't like bite it and like, you know? No,
0: I didn't. I thought for sure I would. I thought it was going to go wrong, but I just kind of rode down. People were looking at me like, "What are you doing?" And I was just, you know, I'm going.
1: You know, how you decorate your bike like little kids decorate their bikes for the Fourth of July. <laughs> Did you decorate the cooler and ride it down?
0: No, no. Uh. But I was wearing like I was. I was decorated. I had a nice, you know, Fourth of July attire. <laughs> Um, so people knew where I was headed.
1: Oh, well we hope you all had a nice long weekend and that'll do it for us on the DMV Download. We are sponsored by Steamfitters Local 602. Our managing editor is Craig Schwab and our music is by Real World.
0: Give us a review and rate our show if you get the chance and follow us on social media where we post content every day. We also have a survey out there where you can let us know how we're doing. You can find that on our social media. You can find out more about this podcast and become one of our VIP listeners at dmvdownload.com.
1: The DMV Download is a product of WTOP News. Listen on 103.5 FM in the DC area, 107.7 FM in Virginia, 103.9 FM in Frederick, Maryland, online at WTOP.com and on the WTOP News app. Have a good night.